the word read to us. We've prayed corporately, repented of our sins. We've acknowledged your presence by the celebration of your ordinance. And then we continue in praise and worship to tell you thank you. Now, sir, if you'll be kind to breathe on us one more time. Give our pastor preaching power and preaching permission. And then preaching will be done. Use him, God. Keep him at the foot of your cross. For we would see you, Jesus. We thank you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While you're standing, while you're standing, a couple critical prayer points. Little Danielle, she's not little anymore, but Danielle Lewis, she's eight months pregnant, was in a car accident on 41. She's fine, we think, but the baby, um, she's having some complications, so remember her in your prayers. She is going to be in St. Agnes until the delivery. I think she has quite to go. So uh, remember Sister Danielle. Amen. Then we got the word on yesterday about Sister Billings and her cancer situation. Evidently, the stem cell replacement failed. And so the donor, the one family member that she had that was an active match, um, they can't even use her anymore because she has acquired some kind of virus or sickness. And so we need for God to do a miracle. Amen. Then on last week, my queen, she had surgery on her foot and the doctors messed up her surgery. So she go back in this Tuesday for another surgery. So we need your prayers today. He's able, ain't he? Amen. And the list goes on and on and on. Some of you are standing here today with silent request. But I know the Lord hears and the Lord sees. So if you believe me, high five somebody and tell them it'll be all right. It'll be all right. You'll open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to preach it in haste so I can get home to my baby. Is that okay? Acts 17. Acts 17. Acts 17. Welcome to visitors to the New Beginnings Community Baptist Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church. And that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible. Books and chapters at a time, comma by comma and line by line. So we welcome you. If you're looking for a church to study God's word, there's no finer church. For we don't believe in making it up, but we believe in looking it up. Amen. And we stand in honor of God's holy word because he is holy and we are not. Amen. So glad my sister is here all the way from Alabama, y'all. Sister Robinson, wave at me, love. Amen. Some of y'all remember Sister Trina, amen, so I'm so glad to see her. Amen, thank you for journeying so far. Acts chapter 17, verse 1, if you have it, say, I got it. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. 
Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying that this Jesus of whom I preach to you is the Christ. Somebody say this Jesus. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, they all joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, they set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. And they sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason had harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king. <laughs> Jesus is his name. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to tag this message for you. Preaching and problems in the ministry. Subtitle, the struggles that come when you labor for God. The struggles that come when you labor for God. Family, it's a common thing among pastors and Christian leaders around the world to share war stories that come from laboring with God. And every Christian believer knows that there are trials and tribulations that come with following Jesus. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. The book of Acts highlights and records these truths from the first century church for us. See, this church faced difficulty as she grew up and obeyed the commands of God to evangelize the entire world. In other words, her members went through trials and tribulations. Her members went through persecutions and problems, all for the sake of following Jesus. Now, this common theme is sometimes forgotten on your pew today. It's forgotten because we are a generation, Brother Mike, that's appalled to suffering and trouble. We, we oftentimes quit on God at the sight or sound of a little persecution or a little personal struggle. 
we quit and question, is God really here? When it was normal for the first century church to go through those things. And if it happened to them, why shouldn't it happen to you? Nevertheless, we can learn today, Reverend Mason, that that trouble is going to come to the believer. Mistreatment is going to happen. People are going to afflict you, family. But hang on, because you too can overcome and be used by God at the same time of your trouble. I got two points for you today, and then I'm going to go see my baby. Is that okay? Number one, I'm going to preach about, I'm going to talk about Paul's ministry method. Paul's ministry method. And then number two, I'm going to talk about persecuting ministry members. Persecuting ministry members. And I'll walk through the text slowly so you can stay with me. Here's point number one, Paul's ministry's methods. Verse number one says, now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, that's the city, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue, Sister Coralie, of the Jews. Look at this. When we arrive at this portion of the text, we see what I call is a glimpse of Paul's ministry focus and evangelism strategy. For example, the text says that when Paul and Silas went through two other cities, they came to the one God wanted them to serve in. Can I park the car right there? Well, what was wrong with Amphipolis? What was wrong with Apollonia? Was there no sinners there? Why would they bypass two cities just to get to this one city? Well, perhaps these cities weren't kind to the preacher. Perhaps they didn't welcome the word of the Lord. You do know cities are made up with people. And people are made up with attitudes. And don't everybody say yeah to the gospel. Can I say some more? Perhaps they were not welcome to the ministry methods of Paul. His ministry method was to first find the Jewish synagogues. And then to start there sharing the good news. Maybe these towns had no synagogues. We don't know because the Bible is silent. But what we do know is that they end up in Thessalonica where God had arranged for them to begin a special work for him in that city. Here's the application for you. Brother Darian, sometimes when we're on mission for God, some people and some places remain close to us. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody that didn't want to hear it? Have you ever tried to do outreach in a particular ministry that just wasn't a city that just wasn't having it? No, no matter how hard you try to show the light and love of God, nothing can happen there. 
That's because the work of the ministry is the work of God in the earth. And if God don't open their hearts, I don't care what your strategy is. They ain't going to receive it. Can I talk to somebody today? You've been trying and trying and trying to share with that co-worker and they can't stand to see you coming. You've been trying to reach that brother-in-law. Come on, talk to me. That mother or that father, you know, whoever they may be, you've been trying your best and no matter what you say, how good them collard greens are, come on, talk to me, how rich that barbecue is, they leave after they eat. Your strategy ain't working. But it's because they don't have a heart, are you listening here, for the things of God. But here's what I noticed that encouraged me in this lesson. Where there are fruitless people and places, we ought to move on from them and continue where there is fruit available for the picking. Can I turn the light on right there? I got more life behind me now than I got in front of me. Scriptures say that God has only promised me three score and ten years. That's 70. I live 51 now. I can't waste my time in fruitless locations. If Fresno don't want the gospel, I got to keep it moving. If you don't want to come to Bible study, I ain't finna waste my time no more. I'm going to go to the place where there's fruit on the vine. I'm talking to somebody here today. Keep it moving in that relationship if they don't want Jesus. Paul and them couldn't do any work in Amphipolis or Apollonia. And the scripture's silent, but we can indicate from that what nothing happening there. So they kept it moving. When we come to Thessalonica, we see that when they got there, they labored where people resonated with them. I'm talking about Paul's ministry method. Y'all in here now? Brother Rich, he labored in the place where he had something in common with the people. And it was there that the new work began. Well, what was it that he had in common with them, Pastor? They were Jews like he was a Jew. And they were willing to be in the synagogue searching the scripture. And because he had an evangelism strategy that said, identify with people who identify with you, he went to the place where he had something in common with people. Now, I don't want you to lose this. I'm not saying don't reach people who don't look like you or don't have nothing in common with you because that's not the Bible. The Bible tells us to go to every culture, amen, every continent, the whole world. I'm talking about Paul's strategy. Paul's strategy, when you do the research, he goes to cities to evangelize, but he always goes to the Jewish synagogues first. I got some Bible for my theology. Can I back it up? He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. Did you hear what he said next? To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Yo, that was Paul's method. Tell somebody that was Paul's method. You just, you just enrolled in ABI Missions 101 right there. You got Paul's ministry strategy. Can I give you some application here? When it comes to reaching a lost family with the good news, we too need a method. 
I like what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus said to the church in Acts, Mario, in chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be witnesses of me. Watch. He said, first in where? Jerusalem. That's your home, people. Come on, talk to me. Some of y'all want to evangelize everywhere else, but you ain't got a witness in your own home. He says, start first where you live. Then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul's strategy was to start with his own people first and then to go to the ends of the earth. If you got it, tell somebody I got it. Now let me suggest to you that there is no substitute in your ministry strategy for good Bible teaching. There ain't no substitute. In evangelism, you can have a thousand methods. You could try sports evangelism. You could try music evangelism. You can try feeding evangelism, clothing evangelism, but ain't no substitute for the Bible. In fact, I want to tell you, your strategy is incomplete if it ain't got the scripture. If you just feeding them to get their attention or clothing them, that ain't evangelism, that's service. Don't confuse the two. Are you with me here? Paul's strategy was to meet with his people using the word. Tell somebody, use the word, it still works. Now, as a good witness of Jesus Christ, not only must you use the word, but you ought to know what the word say. <laughs> that just felt good. Know what the prophecies are about Christ. And that's what Paul was able to use. He was able to go into the synagogues and to show them Jesus in the Old Testament. In the synagogues, all they used was the Torah. So he was able to witness to them from the Torah of the prophecies of Christ. Can I say some more? Don't let nobody open the Old Testament to you and they can't show you Jesus. If all they can show you is the laws of Moses, that's an incomplete prophecy. Because every book in the Old Testament was pointing to the new. And every book in the new was pointing back to the old. And every book in the 66th book was about one man. And his name is Jesus. You ought to be able to find him in Genesis and see the same one in Revelation. And can I tell you which Jesus it is? It's the Jesus who was crucified on a Friday. Buried dead on a Saturday. And risen early Sunday morning. If they show you a Jesus that is not the son of God, that not God himself, that's the wrong Jesus. Hey, I felt good. Can I say some more? The Jehovah's Witness got a Jesus, but he ain't the one of the scriptures. The Mormons got a Jesus, but he ain't the one of the scriptures. The Muslims got a Jesus, but he ain't the one of the scriptures. The black Hebrew Israelites got a Jesus, but he ain't the one of the scriptures. Y'all in here with me? The Buddhists got a Jesus, but he ain't the one of the scriptures. Can I remind you who he is? He's the son of the most high God. Emmanuel, God with us, the one who was dead and is alive. Oh, heck, I heard Brother Anthony call him the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. If you got him, tell your neighbor, I got him, I got him, I got him. That's who Paul witnessed about in the synagogues. 
Y'all in here with me? Can I teach some more? When you come to verse 2, you see what the Bible says, then Paul. See that there? As his custom was, he went to them, and look at this, and for three Sabbaths, tell somebody three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. See that? He used the words. Guess what he wasn't arguing? Customs and cultures. Traditions and methods. Mannerisms. That wasn't important. He argued the scripture. Can I talk to you? Don't get in an argument with these people. If they want to walk through scripture, point them Jesus in the scripture. And if they start getting on customs and traditions, call them back to the scripture. Are you listening here? That's very important. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, look at the text. It says, explaining and demonstrating. <laughs> I like that right there. That's just good didactic exegetical teaching. Explain what you mean and then demonstrate what you mean. What did he demonstrate? That Christ, watch this now, had to suffer. Tell somebody he had to. And he and rise arose again from the dead. And saying that this Jesus, tell somebody this Jesus, whom I preach to you is the Christ. Amen. This is a good point to remember. You should write this down, but don't get your Jesus confused. Know which Jesus you're talking about. And your story will always be incomplete if you don't make it conclusive in that he was dead, buried, and rose again. Amen. But make sure you tell him nobody took his life. He gave his life. Does that make sense? So when we arrive at this portion of the text, we again see a ministry focus of evangelism, his strategy, Reverend White, for how he was going to reach people in whatever city he went to. As I already told you, he went to synagogues where people were already worshiping. But why? Why? Well, it was there that they had a propensity to hear the word of God. Can I turn the light on? They were already seeking to know God. Y'all catch that? In other words, Mike, he didn't waste his time on people who didn't want God. He wasn't trying to go after heathens who were anti-God. His ministry method of evangelism was to find those who had a heart for the things of God. Why? That's where the fruit is. If they don't want God, they ain't got time to hear what you're saying. Well, pastor, how can I identify when they want God? They'll probably be broken. They'll probably be hurting. They'll probably be saying stuff like, pray for me. They'll probably be saying like, man, I wish I was like you. I wish I was as close to God as you were. Those are the, the ticklers, if you will, for your evangelism strategy. They ain't going to be the person to say, you know, blank your God. Or, 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 or I hate God. Don't talk to me about religion. That, that, that ain't going to be the person you're going to evangelize. Because they've already identified to you, Sister Green, they want nothing to do with you. Parenthetically, if they want nothing to do with your God, they want nothing to do with you. 
Can I pass it right there? I need to talk to my daughters for a minute. I don't care how fine he is. If he won't pray with you, he won't read the Bible with you, he don't want to come to church with you, he won't nothing to do with you. Because you and your God are a package deal. Come on, talk to me. He can't have you without having your God. Hello. I'm a pastor right through here. Brothers, I don't care how fine she may be. She may have an hourglass figure. But if she want nothing to do with you on Sunday morning, she can't even pray with you. She won't talk with you about the things of God. She's poison. <laughs> Stay away from her. She's not interested in the things of God. Are you with me here? And if she ain't interested in the things of God now, hey, can I say it? She ain't going to be interested later. Don't you fool yourself talking about I can save her, Reverend. I can save her. No. No, you can't save her, man. <laughs> that wasn't in my nose, but I just went there. Amen. <laughs> Notice his strategy, though. When he found out they were interested in the things of God, he kept coming back, Daniel. The Bible says he did it for three Sabbaths. That was three Saturday meetings. That's when they had church, and they did it all day. So that means all day he was laboring in the Sabbath with those who had a heart for the things of God. In other words, he kept coming back. And he kept take, sticking with the text. He kept lifting up Jesus every time. Amen. He kept the conversation going about the Messiah. Now, the, these Jews, as I mentioned earlier, they would have known the Old Testament and the Torah. And the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. But yet they had not encountered the risen Christ. And that's why it was important when he shared with them, Sister Jackie, to only share Jesus. Does that make sense? Because this was incomplete in their eyes. They didn't know who Jesus was. Can I tell you that there's something about the name of Jesus? Y'all in here? It still got power, Brother Grady. Just the mention of his name makes people sit up and choose. You know that's the only name in history that's going to divide humanity? You got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Are you for him? Or are you against him? And guess what? You can't be neutral. Because to be against him, yeah, it means you're against him. And if you're not for him, then what? You are. So somebody in here looking at me, you got to choose today. What you going to do with Jesus? Is he who the Bible say he is? And if he is, you got a decision to make. So as you go about your strategy this week for sharing the good news and looking for people who are hungry for him, stick to your plan. You got to work the plan. You got to believe in the plan. But most of all, like Paul, you got to share the scripture in the plan. Why, Pastor? Well, it's not your plan that saves people. Ah, <laughs> oh, that just felt good. God may use, may have used Saul's plan, but it wasn't the plan that would save those people in the synagogue. 
It was the scriptures that were illumined by God. So, so that the scripture is the source of biblical truth. And the scripture encompasses, encompasses divine power to change lives. You know you don't have no power, Blackburn, to change nobody. You know that? Only the scripture can change you. Because it's divine and it comes from God, when you hear it, it do something inside of you. And first of all, it drives conviction into the heart and makes you all of a sudden start feeling weird like, dang, I need to do something. I'm... Maybe that's right. All of y'all in here today because of the Bible. It may have been the song that draw you in here or a friend invited you, but it's the scripture that kept you in here. That's why we call people of the word. Can I say some more? So as you're sharing, always remember that the plan don't change lives. The scripture changed lives. You know, I'm grateful for Super Saturday in our church. Where we feed people and we give away food and clothes. And I think we served like 65 families yesterday. Let's praise God right there. That's good. But you know what? Feeding them ain't going to change them. Clothing them ain't going to change them. The plan is good, but can I tell you, if the plan ain't got no scripture in it, it's just a plan. <laughs> they came in a hungry devil, and they're going to leave a full devil. You got to have scripture in the plan. Can I tell you one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to have you do great humanitarian works. Without the Bible. Feed them. Clothe them. Help them get a job. Help them come out of prison. Help them get sober. But don't give them the Bible. The plan has to have scripture in order for it to be evangelism. <laughs> I just said something right there. I hope y'all hold on to that. It ain't evangelism, Zuniga, if the word ain't involved. Don't call it evangelism. Just call it outreach or good works. Have a plan, but in your plan, lift up Jesus. Why, pastor? And I'm almost through with this point. I'm going to my next point. The Bible is the only thing that will save Jesus says, Jesus uses the word. He is the word. Amen. The Bible will draw them, Reverend White. It will change them. It will empower them. It will fill them, encourage them, deliver them, transform them, revive them, renew them, recover them, save them, sanctify them, send them. The scriptures is what does it. Reverend White and I were talking about this not long ago. You know, in the 12-step program, they have steps in recovery but all those steps are designed to point you to scripture the steps don't clean you and draw you the scripture do are you listening here but the plan is to use the steps that's the vehicle but the scripture <laughs> is the source does that make sense 
in your plan, by the way, everybody ought to, got to have a plan. Ask your neighbor, you got a plan. You got a plan to reach people. You ought to, you ought to have a plan. Grady, you got a plan. Amen. You need, Lori, you got a plan. If you don't see me at the church, I'll give you one. Amen. But you need a plan, and your plan needs to include the scriptures. Right? Amen? So Paul's method was to use the scriptures in the Sabbath. The plan was to meet with the people who were like him and had things in common. He recognized that only scripture could save them. Well, let me give you point number two. That was Paul's ministry method. But let me talk to you now, and I want to spend the majority of my time in these last four verses on point number two, persecuting ministry members. Persecuting ministry members. Write that down. Wake your neighbor up. Don't let them sleep through here. Come on. Pastor been working all week. Wake up. I'm gonna call your name if you I'm gonna call your name if you're sleeping. Amen. Persecuting ministry members. This is important. Okay. Verse number four says, and some of them now were persuaded. You see that? A great multitude. Of the devout Greeks. Y'all in here? And not a few of the leading women. They joined Paul in silence. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious. And they took some evil men from the marketplace, from the hood. And they created a mob and they set the city in the uproar. And they went to Jason's house and ramshacked it. And when they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and a few of the other new members out of the church and accused them of being with the brothers who have come to the city to turn the world upside down. Can I unpack that right there? When we gather at this portion of the text, brothers and sisters, we see the result of conversions to Christianity. Uh, Brother, Brother Chris, when... Ever someone gets converted to Christianity, conflict always follows Christianity. Y'all catch that? There will always be trouble that enter into the lives of those who has just made decisions for Christ. In other words, your life don't get better, it get worse. Because of your decision. Are you in here now? Listen, some people got converted in the synagogue, but some didn't. That's verses 4 and 5. Those who got saved were both Jewish and Gentile. They were both male and female. And guess what they all had in common? They were all devout. What do you mean, pastor? They were all in the synagogue studying. And this is interesting right here. In the Jewish synagogues, they were separated like this. The men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other. But they could only be Jews. At the very back of the synagogues, they used to have a space called for the Gentiles. So those people who were non-Jews, that's us, we all Gentiles, we couldn't even come into the synagogue and sit up with the rest of the Jews. We had to sit in the back. Are you with me here? And so when Saul comes or Paul comes and he's reasoning with them for three weeks and he's teaching them, some hear Paul and decide they're going to believe, right? Some of the Jews. And then he says, and some of the devout Greeks. 
In other words, these Gentiles, these Greeks, were people that were reading the Torah. That were studying what the Jews believed about Yahweh, about God. Right? And they were believing, but they didn't have the whole story. And then he says, and the chief ladies among them. Can I open that? Which means that in the Gentile culture, there were more women in the church than they were men. Now, the women were ostracized three times. Can I tell you why? Number one, they weren't Jewish. Number two, they were Gentile. And then on top of that, they were women as Gentiles. They were second-class citizens. But when they heard about Jesus... They were liberated from their status in society. Can I tell you that women's lib didn't set you free? You've been set free a long time ago in Christ. I heard the Bible say, ladies, that all those who have confessed Christ have become new creatures. And old things have been passed away. And all have become brand new. So when that day came and they said yes, they now found themselves in a new body of believers. They were now announced Christian women. And they were born again in that Jewish synagogue. God used the scripture to draw them unto himself. So when Paul opened the text, that opened their eyes. And when their eyes became open, their hearts followed. And when their hearts followed, they took the leap of faith to believe that Jesus was the son of God. But now, their faith was going to cost them something. Jason in the text was one of the brothers in the story. There were other men among them. That said yes and now because these Jews have gotten upset those who did not believe they immediately were going to persecute these new members in the body. Here's where we understand that their faith cost them something. In other words they were immediately somebody say immediately ostracized. They were persecuted targeted disrespected talked about and plotted against. Because of their faith. Can I ask you a question? Has your faith cost you something lately? Do people talk about you because you've been converted? Do people ostracize you because you love Jesus? Has your family put you down or rejected you or persecuted you because you follow the Jesus of the scripture? If so, you in good company. If so, you got evidence that you are a believer. Mm, that felt good right there. Look, look. If so, you got proof that you're on the Lord's team and on the Lord's side. See, evidence that you follow Christ is evidence that you don't fit in with the world. And the world's customs and religions are not yours. If you've been persecuted, you ought to get the Lord some praise. On the other hand, if you haven't been, you ought to talk to him. Maybe you're too close to the world. The world embrace you. You know, you know how they do. They, 
they bag on the Christians and stand-up comedy, but they say, I ain't talking about you. You ain't like them. You know, you're one of those Christians and nobody can't tell whose side you on. Ain't nobody bashing you. They bash your God, but they ain't talking to you. You know, you're one of those Christians that, that don't get offended at the comments of the world. You're you comfortable in your sin. In fact, it don't even bother you to, you know, sleep with her. Sleep with him. Smoke and get high. Steal and lie. You living together and you know the Bible don't teach that. You ain't convicted by that. You need to talk to the Lord. The text says that some believed and some did not. Look at verse 5. The Jews who were not persuaded, you should circle that word, were not. They became envious. You see that right there, guys? And they took, look what they did right here. They took, Sister Jackie, some evil men from the marketplace. This is what their envy did. And they gathered a mob, Speedy, and they set all the city, say all the city, in an uproar at the house of Jason. And they sought to bring out the people. Let me unpack that. The Jews who wouldn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, according to the text, became envious. I think this is a good word, interesting word, of Paul and Silas. Why were they envy? Why were they envious? Well, they were envious of the crowd conversion. They were envious of the ability to persuade men. They were envious, Tate, because of the power of the gospel. Y'all need proof? They had been in the synagogue every week trying to persuade people. And here Paul and Silas come after three weeks. And now this great multitude had just like that switched to the gospel. And as a result of their envy, they became angry. Why were they angry? Because God was at work. They were angry because religion wasn't working, but the gospel was. They were angry, passion, because, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ had come in right under their noses and led people into the marvelous light. And as a result, their anger made them plot to destroy the work that God was starting. Can I turn the light on right here? Listen, you may forget everything I said, but don't forget this. Anytime haters get angry at the work of God, it can always be traced back to satanic opposition and influence. Why? Because you've heard me say that the definition of spiritual warfare is anything that applies or tries to stop the work of God in the believer or, or for the believer. Are you with me here? That's spiritual warfare. And God, I mean, Satan always opposes the work of God in your life, in the life of your church, and in the life of humanity. Anytime Satan stands up against what God is doing, I can always identify the source. 
You need proof? I'll give you proof. Only the devil opposes the work of God in the earth. There's no other spirit in the universe. In fact, Jesus called him the prince in power. Paul called him the prince in power of the air. Jesus said he's the God, little g, of this world. There's a war happening in our universe. God moves and the devil tries to counter. You can check the record in Genesis. Anytime God does something, Satan comes on the screen. Put man in the garden and here come the devil. Now, that makes sense? All the way through the Bible. Only the devil. Watch this. Tell me if this is true. I want you to yell out true afterward, okay? If this is true. Only the devil don't want to see people say. Only the devil tries to stop what God is doing in people's lives. Only the devil is angry at Christian transformation. Only the devil will try to stop you from joining the church. Only the devil will try to stop the church from growing. Only the devil will try to block the preacher from preaching. Only the devil will try to discourage the membership. Only the devil will try and put fear in the congregation. Only the devil will lie on the preacher and have him silenced. And this is what was happening in this text. All of those things you just said were true is what they did, Satan did in the lives of those Jews who were not persuaded. In other words, I'll give it to you simple. Brother Aaron, Satan stirs up haters. Why? Because he sees that he can use them. Why? Because their hearts are evil. And they have an evil disposition towards the things of God. So they're the perfect vehicle for him to jump inside and ride. <laughs> Can I just turn the light on right there? Some people are just the perfect car for the devil to drive. Can I talk about your friend without you saying it? Amen. Her attitude's so bad. Can't talk to her about nothing. Just a negative personality. You know any negative Nancy's like that? You try to say, oh, it's such a pretty day. What's so pretty about it? You know any brothers like that? No matter what's good is happening, they can always pick out something bad. Those people, I'm not saying they're demon-possessed, so don't go tell them my pastor said you got the devil in you. No, I... <laughs> Might be true, but I ain't saying that, right? What I'm saying is they have the perfect attitude and aptitude for the devil to work with, to roll with, amen. Can I ask a question? Have you checked your attitude lately? What's your attitude about your church? What's your attitude about the people of God and the things of God? Because according to Facebook, you're on the wrong side of the argument. You should be encouraging broken, hurting people, but I hear you stabbing them and beating them. I hear you poking jokes at people who are in depravity. It's the wrong side of the argument. You the vehicle that the enemy can use to discourage somebody. 
Repent of your attitude. Repent of your attitude. These haters, these haters were the perfect people that Satan could use to try to stop this new work in the church. Can I turn the light on? I found something here. Deacon Crawford that I think you appreciate. Guess what they had in common, the haters? Somebody say, what, Pastor? They were all religious people. They were church people. They were leaders in the synagogue. They knew the Torah. But they were the ones that tried to stop the work of the gospel. Can I say some more? They had the laws of Moses. They had church traditions. They had a religious language. They had religion on their side. But they were easily influenced by the evil one. The church would be fine today if it wasn't for church people. Ain't that sad? But that's true. Look again, verse 5. The Jews who were not persuaded became envious. And as a result, their evil strategy was to go down to the hood. That's the Wilson translation. And to get some evil brothers. Somebody said game recognized game. And they went and got the local thugs. That's the Wilson translation. And the monsters from the hood. Uh, I know even that language is outdated. They got brothers who was used to putting in work. I'm in the text, y'all. Who, who were they? Deacon Lorda, they were men who could be bought. Y'all in here? They were men who could be used by other men. They were men who could be taken advantage of. They were men who could be lied to. They were men who could be easily persuaded to violate another man. They were men who could be deceived into doing something to take somebody else's life. They went to look for men who were vulnerable and already under the influence of the evil one and the norms of the culture and society. They went and got sinners who didn't know no better. And when I look at, I'm going to digress. Can I digress? Y'all mind if I chase a rabbit for a minute? When I look at Islam today and their new recruiting strategy, they get people on the fringes of society. People who could be bought. You look at any cult and they have the same strategy. Who are their soldiers? People that fit this category. And they recruit in the places where those men live. Go to the prison and get them out. Go to the dope house and get them out. Go to the neighborhood and get them out. Go to the places where they've been rejected by society and get them out. Are you listening here? Men who already got a chip on their shoulder. Who already angry and mad and they get bought. And now these men in the text bring them to come and destroy the church. Destroy what God is doing. 
As a result, brothers and sisters, this mob, they were a dangerous group. And they were dangerous because they were led and influenced by the evil one. They were so evil that when they could not get to Paul and Silas, y'all in here? They took Jason. He wasn't even an apostle. He was a new believer. Snatched him right out of new members class. And he just got saved. When I was reading it, I said, man, poor Jason, that's jacked up. What an initiation to Christianity. His first taste of persecution. This shows me two things. Number one, it shows me the depravity of people who don't have God. That they would choose to hurt the apostles who only came that they might have life. But then secondly, it shows me their evil, diabolical, wicked, and demonic schemes that they would hurt anybody, watch this now, that was connected to the preacher. A lot of what will happen to New Beginnings will be a direct attack on me. But because you're members, you will catch it. I'm sorry. They really want me because I'm the spokesperson for the body, the angel of the house, the one who has to stand before God and give an account for your souls. So when the Hebrews attack me or when the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness attack me, they may inadvertently get you. Can I say some more? They couldn't get Paul and Silas. They dragged. Somebody say drag. I mean, brother wasn't willing to go. Amen. He wasn't willing to go. They dragged him out of his house. And I like this text because it says, and some other brethren. It wasn't just Jason. They grabbed a lot of people who were meeting in that same house that now Paul and Silas had established the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonians, right? They drag them out. And they cried against him. Look at their accusation. Look, this is a cool accusation to be accused by your enemy. They said, these men had turned the world upside down. I want that kind of rumor on me. Amen. I want... That's him right there. Amen. He turned the world upside down. They did two things to these new members of the church. Number one, they had them arrested. Number two, they had them falsely charged. And they literally accused them for harboring world changers. <laughs> yeah, harboring world changers. Then they accused them of making a difference for God. But I like the accusation. I want to dig in there for just a minute. I like the accusation because this accusation implies that they were people who had power to change cultures, to change systems, to change lives, communities, neighborhoods, villages, ideologies, families, and destinies. These who were the, the apostles were. Mother, they, 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 were, they were men who, who changed the world, who, who, who were making an influence for God in the earth. And, and it also says to us that these Jews who were not persuaded to believe the gospel, that they didn't want their lives changed. Wow. 
They didn't want their traditions changed. This is why they got envious in the synagogue, Mike. They, they, they didn't want their beliefs to change. They didn't want their religion to change. They didn't want their culture to change. They didn't want their religious worldview to change. <clears throat> and so they would accuse them of changing the world. That's why we need to do something about them. These haters did not want change. And can I tell you that every now and then, the gospel ought to create these kind of problems in your city. If you're preaching it right. If you're preaching it right, every now and then, the gospel ought to drive haters crazy. Every now and then, the gospel ought to create opposition because of what it is. This is how you know you're really preaching when the crowd goes crazy. I ain't talking about shouting on the hoop. Come on, talk to me. I'm talking about the enemies being outrageous because you are changing lives. Look, the truth about Paul and Silas' ministry was that wherever they went, they either caused a riot or a revival. And if ain't nothing happening in this church, I'm concerned. And my, my preaching ain't making you madder. And it ought to be making you better. But it ought to be doing something, Brother James. Am I talking to you? Can I turn the light on right here? These new members, man, they hadn't baptized anybody. They didn't plant one church. They didn't write one book. They were not even ordained for ministry. They didn't do anything wrong. They hadn't hurt nobody, but they were still persecuted. Just because they kept company with the apostles. See, Jason was guilty by association. He, he, he believed the good news and as a result, he was beat up and dragged to jail. Look, their accusation was that they had been with the apostles who had turned the world upside down. Here's the application. Any one of you willing to carry your cross this morning is a candidate for trials and tribulation. Any one of you willing to associate with your pastor is a candidate for accusations and ridicule. Anyone willing to be a part of the work can guarantee themselves trouble from those that hate the gospel. And that's the truth of this text. Well, I got a whole much in more in here and I'm going to cut across the field. But as I do, Jason, because he was affiliated with them, was a part of the ministry. The ministry of changing people's lives. And I need to tell you today that if you're down with the church, it's going to cost you something too. Even if you want to hide on the periphery. Can I talk to you? You know, you want to show up every three, four, five weeks. It's going to cost you too. Because you're still affiliated with it. Your membership is a part of her. Can I shine the light on you? When they're persecuting Christians in the Middle East, they're persecuting your family. You may act like it don't impact you. Oh, but it's coming your way. Are you listening here? When they want to rise up in the media and now silence the church, try to force her to embrace same-sex marriages, that persecution is coming your way. There's no such thing as somebody slapping you in the arm and it's not affecting your whole body. If I step on your foot, it's going to register to your brain. 
it's affecting the whole body. Are you with me here? You might say, oh, but pastor, I ain't the foot. I'm the pinky. Oh, well, it's coming your way. Because Jason was a new member, the persecution still affected him. I'm going to talk to somebody. Look, you may only serve in a small matter in the church, but it's going to cost you too. You you may only serve when you feel like it, but it's going to cost you too. You may only be doing a little bit for God. But it's going to cost you too. You may only serve Sister Green on special occasions, but it's going to cost you too. See, nobody gets away from persecution. Every believer gets touched, Reverend Tay, sooner or later by the haters. If you claim to follow Jesus, then it's coming your way. You can be cool if you want to. You can be quiet if you want to. You can be nonchalant if you want to. You may be on the bench or in the stands if you want to. But the truth is that persecution will find you. My mom used to say, mom used to say be careful about who you hang with. Y'all, your mama, you got the same mama? If it walk like a duck and quack like a duck and eat like a duck, it's a... Can I turn the light on? If you run with the Christians, if you hang with the Christians, if you sing with the Christians, if you pray with the Christians, believe with the Christians, serve with the Christians, live like the Christians, obey like the Christians, and trust like the Christian, you're probably Christian. And persecution will come your way. Well, y'all start walking so I know you're tired. Let me land the plane. The Bible says in verse 8 that after they stirred up the people and they stirred up the judges, they took them down to the courts and the city officials. They were all, watch this now, the text says they were thrown into turmoil. You catch that right there? I'm through when I tell you this. They were thrown into turmoil, but the officials ended up releasing Jason and the new believers after they had posted bail. Here's my conclusion. Even though they suffered injustice at the hands of the haters, God gave them favor and grace and allowed them to be released. In other words, the people of the city and the officials were not in favor of the riots, but were rather in turmoil about the situation. Why turmoil, Pastor? Because the Bible demands a verdict. The gospel demands that you make a decision. The gospel demands that you make a choice. The gospel demands that you choose today who you will serve. And turmoil is what happens in the soul. After you hear the gospel. So even though the haters tried to stir up this mob of brothers to do something wrong, when the city officials heard the court case, they got all jacked up on the inside. Because they recognized that the accusation about the brothers was not normal. They've turned the world upside down. Well, what is this? And now, after hearing the message, they got jacked up on the inside and turmoil had inflicted them. 
So much so that now they had to make a choice about what they were going to do with the brothers and with Jesus. And somebody this morning looking at me right now, you're in turmoil today. You know your life is jacked up. In fact, to borrow one of my old sayings, it's toe up from the flow up. And you hear this gospel today, this wonderful news, and you wonder, like, what does this mean? That that's turmoil. You know turmoil. You can't sleep at night. Pastor ain't at home with you, but you can hear his voice over and over in your head. Means it's something you got to make a change today, a lifestyle change. Maybe you, you see where you've not been an effective witness this morning. But you recognize that persecution's coming your way. Maybe you haven't been a good support for your church. And you're feeling some conviction about it. That's turmoil. Holy Spirit causes that inside of every heart and every human. And you've got to decide today what you're going to do. The city officials... Filled with turmoil as we leave Thessalonica and now head to Berea. They got to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. Well, thank you, New Beginnings, for listening this morning. Thank you for giving me a few minutes to press my case and make my point today. But as I close, I want to challenge you today. Make a decision to repent of your sins and to trust Jesus for your salvation. Trust him by believing the good news of the gospel. The Bible says that 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem, the Lamb of God died for the sins of the world. The Bible says... That Jesus took our place out on the old rugged cross. And he died for the sins of the world. The Bible says that when he died, it was a painful death. They took nails in his hands and put a crown of thorns on his head. He suffered, bled, and died. But then the Bible says that that's not the end of the story. No, no. They put the body inside of a borrowed tomb. And early Sunday morning, the father raised him back to life. That's how the message goes. And the Bible says that he's alive today and sitting at the right hand of God. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Jesus might be saved. The Bible says that he who has the son has life and he who has not the son has not life. The Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. And I like that right there because I'm a caller today. Oh, yes, I am. I called on the name of Jesus. And salvation is mine. I'm glad today that I've been born again. And new life is all in me. Are you glad today? Is there a witness in the house that says you are Jesus? And Jesus is yours. Are you like the old saints used to say? I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. That's me today. I'm glad this morning that I'm not going back. I'm glad this morning I made up my mind. And my mind is made up. I got my mind on Jesus. And Jesus on my mind. Can I close right here? I've tried some other things. But they couldn't give me joy. Even old English couldn't keep me happy. Can I talk to you? The reddest buds on the vine couldn't get me high enough. <laughs> the best dance music in the club couldn't make me move like I move now I found a savior who's better to me than anything I ever tried can I talk to you right there he picks me up and he turns me around place my feet on solid ground he makes me run when ain't nobody chasing me he dries my tears when conflict has me in confusion he's an on-time god yes he is he's a healer when i've been sick a provider when no bread's in the cupboard he's a security when there is none around he's my helper in the time of need oh yes he is can i preach it like i feel it i'm on my way to live with my savior and i wouldn't give nothing for my walk now i'm gonna preach till i can't preach no more i got one story that's an old time story do you know the story I've been bought with a beautiful prize and I'm now in the bridal party and the best groom, the best groom that mankind has ever known has went away to prepare a place. I heard that where he is, I'll be there shortly. All I'm waiting on now is the wedding date any brides in the house i've got the ring i said yes i'm getting ready i'm waiting now on the date to come and i heard i heard i heard that the wedding will start when the trumpet sounds did you hear the sound of the trumpet the Bible says when the trumpet sounds the dead in Christ will rise and all of us 
who remain will be caught up together to meet him in the air. I got a question, New Beginnings. Are you in the wedding party? Did you get an invitation? Did you say yes to the bridegroom? Then make sure. I said sure. I said sure. There's oil in your lap. You can't wait at the sound of the trumpet to try to get yourself ready. This is one invitation. You got to already be ready. And I'm ready now. I got oil in my lap. I got my name on the invitation. It's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I got my ticket. And I'm on my way to the wedding in Jerusalem. I'm trying to close it now. Oh, yes, I am. But I heard, I heard, when the wedding starts, they're going to throw open the gates. And in come the Gentile bride. She'll be dressed in white. Can I tell you who she is? She's Asian. She's African. She's European. She's Anglican. She's all over the world from every nation and every tribe. She'll walk in together like the great new Jerusalem. She's Zion. She's the called out ones. She's been bowed with a praise. Yes, I have. Y'all don't want to shout with me, so I'll shout on my own. I'm glad I am somebody. They told me a long time ago I wouldn't amount to nothing, but I don't care what they say because God said I've been made in the image of God and I have somebody are you somebody today can I tell you how I know I am somebody I've been saved I've been born again I've got a spirit inside of me I've got a name that no man knows I've been called I've been rich I've been helped I've been hoped and he knows me by name in the morning I meet with him in the noonday I feel him in the evening he's always there he's mine oh yes he is does he belong to you today is there any believers in the house anybody here on the Lord's side if you on the Lord's side shake somebody's hand tell them neighbor congratulations you belong to the king hey 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 I know he's alright I know he's alright I know he's alright if God is better high five somebody tell them God is better if God is enough point to somebody and tell them he's enough hey ain't he alright ain't he alright ain't he alright say yeah say yeah say yeah <laughs>
<laughs> Don't fool me now. Trying to land in here, but it just feels good. Because that means that soon I'll be done with the troubles of this old world. No more sickness on that side. No more heartache on that side. No more disappointment on that side. No more persecution on that side. No more lonely days and weary nights on that side. Some of y'all can't shout there. No more medication on that side. No more bill collectors on that side. No more haters on that side. It'll just be Jesus. Mary's baby. Jesus. The Lamb of God. Now ain't that alright? Say yeah. Say yeah. Yeah. Good God Almighty. Praise Him while you can. Praise Him while you can. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a lot of songs on my heart. But I always go back to Old Faith. 